just introduce Rudy Shields. Uh, doesn't need any introduction. <laughs> Rudy, uh, for 45 years, he wrote, uh, he worked at um, the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. He's published over 300 peer reviewed academic papers in the field of astrophysics. He's one of the leading pioneers of black holes. And many, many years before Stephen Hawking admitted that he had been wrong on black holes, Rudy pointed it out <laughs> with very sophisticated mathematics and, and physics. Uh, so he's the real deal, you know, from that end. But uh, from the purpose of our discussion today, Rudy was a very close colleague of the late um, Dr. John Mack, who was a professor at Harvard that Rudy met. And he was one of the few academics that actually defended Dr. Mack during his inquisition, where they were trying to take his tenure away. Um, and then Rudy, over the years, became um, very close friends with the late uh, Edgar Mitchell. It was Rudy that introduced me to Edgar Mitchell um, uh, as well. And Rudy's been involved in the field of, uh, of UFOs and consciousness since, oh my goodness, <laughs> I guess uh, uh, the, the early 1990s. So, uh, and Rudy was the executive director of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. And now together with Dr. Jeffrey Long and myself, He's um, uh, the, the co-directors of the research study uh, for the new organization, Consciousness and Contact Research Institute. And Rudy, I mentioned that you wrote a very, very important paper uh, for the book. And uh, they're very fascinating insights uh, in that paper. And that's what I would like to be able to question you on. So um, Rudy, if you could uh, talk a little bit about uh, what I just said about your relationship with Edgar, with Dr. John Mack, your work with the Free Foundation and now CCRI, just to put some context to it. Uh, yeah, can everybody hear me? I can hear you. Thank you, Ray. Um, so hello, everybody. Hello, guests. Um, I'm Rudy Schild. Um, I've uh, been a close contact with Edgar Mitchell and John Mack, as Ray has said. Um, uh, my conversations with Edgar Mitchell had been long and exhaustive and in total agreement. And um, I would, I think I'm the person that Edgar realized would be the one who logically could extend his own work on the nature of consciousness as he understood it uh, increasingly based on his own experiences and uh, everything he had gleaned. So um, I'm uniquely qualified to talk about some of these things, these matters. Um, and I see a principal problem in our society today as being the fact that the subject of UFO and contact is totally ignored in press and media, and for a very good reason. As I understand and see the dynamic around me, um, so uh, some state troopers and uh, credible witnesses call up a local reporter in Sharp Curve, Iowa, and say, uh, we saw amazing things. We pursued a craft that we could not follow. Uh, it was luminous. It was something we've never seen. We have military experience. We know that the government does not operate anything of this kind. And um, uh, we would like to uh, have the newspaper acknowledge that this occurred and perhaps do a deeper investigation. So the newspaper in due diligence calls a local university and says, uh, what do you know about this? This seems to be something related to the UFO phenomena. And um, uh, what can you tell us? 
and the professor there at the university will reliably say that's a bunch of hokum. There is no science of UFOs. Uh, turn elsewhere, give up. It didn't happen. So I would like to make credible to the academic community that within the present practice of astrophysical science and the present understanding of what black holes and distant horizons in the universe are, we can understand the miracle, the seeming miracle of a UFO craft from its location at a distant star can appear in our atmosphere instantaneously, undamaged. If you look as an astronomer in any direction of space, say to a distant star that hosts a intelligent body of uh, physicists, um, we know from astronomical observation that there is a whole lot of dust between us and that star. And we know from the properties of dust that uh, comes in all sizes from grains of sand to rocks, boulders, asteroids, and up. So there are no clear sight lines to any distant star that are clear of dust. How does a physical object move at speeds approaching the speeds of light and appear undamaged in our atmosphere? I will explain it. Well, Rudy, before you get into some of the details of that, I want to focus back and just say that um, you managed to say your goodbyes to the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell. I visited him in the hospital like a few days before he passed away. And um, for folks that don't know, Edgar Mitchell was the sixth man to walk on the moon and was also the founder of um, the Institute for Noetic Sciences. And he also co-founded Eternia, which is a near-death ex uh, experience um, institute. And um, so you and, and Ed were very, very dear friends. And, and, and I would say that he did pass the baton to you because you clearly understood um, Edgar's discussion of um, the quantum hologram, uh, given your background in theoretical physics, and also um, what Edgar called non-local consciousness, how humans have the ability to tap into that. Um, and part of your work, uh, you wrote a chapter for our uh, book titled A Computer Model of Consciousness, which dovetails Edgar Mitchell's article um, which I would consider probably the most important article besides yours in our book. So do you have any comments about uh, how you and Edgar Mitchell was sort of like corollaries to, to this theory of consciousness? Um, my good friendship with Edgar Mitchell was fostered by many visits of, by Dr. Mitchell to Boston. He was a friend of space scientist at the MIT laboratories for space science. And he would occasionally come and review and listen to uh, PhD theses that were being presented by young people. And uh, 
very often he would call me up and say, Rudy, uh, I'm coming to town next Thursday. Would you pick me up at the airport and drive me to MIT? Uh, and I did, and I listened to the same conferences he did, heard the same speakers. We had plenty of opportunity to converse. And Edgar and I came to understand that we have very much the same ideas about the nature of the quantum hologram. And that's what I was hoping to uh, describe to people. But there were parts of this story that Edgar would not have known about because he had not really pursued the research results that I have on the nature of black holes. It takes um, a careful reading of an understanding of black holes to understand how the universe works when it enables the kinds of phenomena we're talking about. It's also necessary to talk about the nature of the distant horizon of our universe because the distant horizon of the universe is something like an inside out black hole. When we here on earth look and see a distant object in the sky and realize it's a black hole because we see the, the effects of its dumping matter into it. We see an object which has on the outside physicality. It's in our universe. It's a physical thing. It has mass. It has spin. It has electric charge and it has uh, rotation and it has magnetic fields. So it's a physical object. I have been studying these as an important part of my career for 30 years. And uh, we have come to understand that the black hole always forms when nature is at its extremes. In the case of the physical black hole we see, we have an equilibrium between physicalness on the outside, trying to compress further, 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 because of its self-gravity, but that um, collapse is eventually impeded by the quantum field that's inside the black hole pushing out. And that makes a different kind of universe, uh, a different kind of black hole than Stephen Hawking was talking about, where the proposal was the object completely contracts to infinite density. But such objects would not exist in nature. Um, they cannot because we see the magnetic fields they radiate. And so we de demonstrated that a different kind of object called an MECO, magnetic eternally collapsing object, forms instead and has very amazing properties which enable storage for all time of all consciousness. And some of you might like to call this the Akashic record. So we okay. have a new view of what black holes are and we know that they are very much related to consciousness. Now, Rudy, now, um, again, focusing on um, what you discuss as black holes as information repositories, that they might be uh, understood as what 
a lot of people in this field understand it to be the Akashic records, okay? And I think what was important was that um, you and Edgar had worked out a, um, a mechanism of how humans are able to extract that information from the Akashic records. And Edgar called it non-local consciousness. So to me, as a layperson, the important of both of you working together is that Edgar, in Edgar's paper, he talked about the mechanisms of non-local consciousness, how we're able to derive that information via zero-point energy and and uh, um, um, uh, the information fields. And, and then your important work was that how you described it, that yes, they're information storage devices. And, and also that um, you talked about that the universe might be an inverted black hole. Uh, for example, in a black hole, information is coming from the outside being compressed in, okay? And for a universe, the what we perceive to be the inside of the black hole where all physics breaks down and and um, um, alternate you know physics equations you know take place in the very uh, inner parts of the black hole you're saying that that can be viewed as a the event horizon of our universe so can you talk a little bit about that so thank you ray uh, beautiful introduction to uh, what I was uh, leading up to and wanted to talk about uh, for this occasion. Um, so Ray is correctly stating that um, just as a black hole, which I was, uh, was demonstrating with my hands, is this equilibrium or this um, balancing between um, physical infinite density uh, um, uh, driving by gravity uh, with an intense quantum field that pushes out from the inside. So in the same way, Ray is saying, Rudy, get to the big picture and tell us about how the universe, which is what uh, we understand to be all of the stars in the sky and all galaxies that we can see with our telescopes, the sum of everything, including its consciousness, uh, how that is an inf is at the distant horizon of our universe, the inside out picture of a black hole. That is, the inside is physical and the outside pushing in on it is the possibility of all universes, which is also sometimes called the vacuum zero point energy. So when I discussed these matters with Edgar, I would always talk as he did in his writings about the vacuum zero point energy. But we can now understand how that is a quantum field that exists beyond our universe, but also within the universe inside of black holes. And in this description, we find that um, um, a super being that occupies all space and all other universes in the megaverse could be penetrating that uh, outer distant horizon of our universe as spiraling consciousness waves that were first discovered by scientist Wilhelm Reich 
who was discredited in his day, his thinking was so far advanced, but now we're understanding that he was describing um, the quantum properties of these fields on which consciousness waves exist. And we now have a picture of what consciousness waves are and the new book will show pictures of waves of consciousness so that now with the work of Wilhelm Reich demonstrating the waves of consciousness, we have the unification of the quantum theory of all matter, especially describing atomic physics and originating with the great quantum physicists of the 1920s and 30s and talking about Heisenberg, Schrodinger, Dirac, Bohm, those guys that we now worship as the great quantum physicists, they had a theory devised to explain atomic physics, but Wilhelm Reich now shows that it describes consciousness on all levels in our universe from human beings to aliens on distant stars and perhaps the divine creator. So here is a unification with religion. Well, one thing, Rudy, that um, you have in common with all of the other academics and medical doctors of CCRI is that um, everyone believes, as the, the common term states, that consciousness is primary. In other words, that our perceived 3D physical reality is an illusion, and there's something much more complex uh, behind that, okay? Um, another concept that you alluded to, um, and we have several articles in our book on this very topic, that is uh, what you referred to earlier as the universal mind, you know? Some people might use the word God figure, but I know you frequently don't like that term because it's got religious connotations to it. But basically behind all of this, it seems like there's like a universal mind taking place uh, uh, to all of this. Now, um, if I can sort of change the subject a little bit, Rudy, this is very important. This is when I first met you, you gave me a call at 9.30 in the morning, okay? I had no idea who you were, and I won't go into the details of that. But basically, it was at that point that you told me that, Ray, I've just finished writing a paper that very much parallels the experience that you had yesterday. And I won't go into those details, but basically you told me that you wrote a very short essay titled uh, The Modern Miracles, which uh, for the audience members, is that basically all of the paranormal contact modalities should be studied as one phenomenon because consciousness is the based understanding it. So could you talk a little bit about what inspired that paper uh, for you and, and what it actually means you know, from your perspective? Excellent, Ray, I'd be happy to, to uh, accommodate that. Um, in the first place, I would like to state plainly that I have never seen a UFO. I am not a contact experiencer myself. I'm just a nice, naive, innocent um, university researcher investigating and exploring the visible universe. However, having said that, I had a colleague, John Mack, who called me on a telephone one day and said to me, Rudy, I'm up against something in my psychological research work. In fact, in my um, hospital um, healing work that is so astonishing 
and often has astronomical implications. Could we meet and discuss this? And um, I had a meeting with John uh, at my uh, at the university lunch hall, where we could all be sure that there were no secret mics and no tap telephones or anything to be worried about, and we could freely discuss ideas. And he laid on me the contact modalities as he was exploring them. He started out with people who had been abducted and their cases related to abduction had come his way. And he had recognized in so many of their stories, the fact that um, there were um, other uh, phenomena that these people were now experienced and were puzzled by. And so um, he related to me about the near-death experiences and the, all of the other contact modalities as you have just described. And at the end of this meeting, um, when we decided, uh, okay, John, I'll think about these things and think about what my correct response would be, we had decided to part and as we were getting up from the table, I said, John, what does this, all of this complex stuff make you believe to your great surprise? And he looked back at me and said, Rudy, you know, I was born and raised a agnostic Jew, but I am now having to conclude that we are something much more than that flesh and blood. And that yes. made me, so to speak, pick up my cross and follow him. The rest is history. So Rudy, it, it seems like um, the transition that Dr. John Mack did was a transition that many of the early pioneers in near-death experiences um, for example, Raymond Moody started off as a total skeptic of these things. Um, Dr. Bruce Grayson, a total skeptic, an academic, a researcher, trying to document the phenomenon. Um, and uh, Dr. Jeffrey Long, uh, who is a partner in our organization. All of these people, you know, started off uh, not believing in anything related to spirituality. But it seems like Dr. John Mack went through the process where he concluded that, look, you know, we might be eternal spiritual beings here, you know. We might be involved in a phenomenon that we just don't truly understand, you know. So would you, would that be fair to say that Dr. John Mack, um, uh, like, like, like Edgar Mitchell and so many others, because of the work, began to uh, understand the spiritual aspects of, of, of contact? Um, absolutely. And in fact, um, that was largely the point of my telling the story of our meeting. And so far as I know, John Mack himself never had a UFO contact experience uh, and never spoke to me about having himself personally had any of these other contact modalities, meaning near-death experience or remote viewing or telepathy or so on. So. Um, we are, so to speak, pure academics. Our curiosity about this is pure human curiosity. So, um, so again, uh, 
our data, as you very well know, Rudy, because you were the co-author of chapter one and, and oh, was yes. part of, uh, oh yes, that's right, and you were part of our research study um, as, as a researcher, analyzing the data and author for, for, for many years, you saw that these individuals underwent a total spiritual transformation. And then um, from my perspective, it came about because these people were, were giving lessons, life lessons by non-human intelligence. And part of that dealt with spirituality. Can you sort of uh, comment on that aspect of it? What I'd like to say and emphasize particularly is that I saw common threads between all of these different modalities in this picture of consciousness. I could see that the quantum theory, which is now called interdimensional theory or has other names, but it was originally called quantum theory by these great quantum physicists. And because I want to drag in some other physicists uh, who could speak in the same way as I speak, um, I tend to call it the quantum theory, but that's very forbidding to many people uh, because it speaks of complex mathematics and other things that they would rather not know about. And so it's my job as, or my mission as I see it to try to get away from um, this association with um, mathematical physics and to open the discussion to people who are just talking about their personal experiences. So I'm looking especially to the work of Dr. Wilhelm Reich, who put the key piece in place that showed that there is a quantum waveform that describes consciousness, but thereafter partakes in the quantum hologram description of all nature. And that is a miraculous thing. And it's a common thread throughout all of the experiences, which you're calling the contact modalities and which previously I naively simply called the modern miracles as the miracles or things considered miraculously or miraculous or unexplained by people throughout history. Rudy, let me read to you um, just a very short uh, pa paragraph from your abstract uh, for your article titled A Computer Model of Consciousness, which is going to be uh, appearing in our book. Um, and let me uh, quote you. So, quote, modern science has a difficult time discussing phenomenon proposed to evidence non-human intelligence visiting our planet in spacecraft originating originating on a planet at a distant star, since at limited light speed, it would take excessively long times to span such distances. We show how new ideas on the nature of information in the universe operating within a holographic description of our reality and with this understanding of consciousness and with a modern understanding of the structuring of the matter in the universe can describe how quantum effects enable a bilocation property within space-time to enable a craft to bilocate at Earth from a distant host planet 
simultaneously. So this is one of the many components that you talked about in our paper. So could you elaborate on that topic? Wow, <laughs> it is quite a mouthful, Ray. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it is quite a challenge because I'm saying we're looking for a kind of theory of everything. And I've been hinting uh, from how at the margins, um, we see instances of it in our new um, measurements and understanding of what black holes are, a new understanding of what the distant horizon of the universe is, and how we now can bring the act of consciousness into the Edgar Mitchell quantum hologram theory, which says that all information in this quantum character permeates all space at all time. And it is a kind of a field that sort of shadows the physicality that we see in the universe or the state of physical being subject to the Newton laws of motion as modified by Einstein. So all of that physics, we have to now bring into alignment with a theory that also explains consciousness and then goes further to explain in detail how does telepathy work? How does remote viewing work? And how does um, uh, uh, instantaneous propagation work? All of that will be revealed in subsequent chapters in our new series of books. I think I told you just this morning, Ray, that I'll be working with uh, Dr. Um, Bob, Bob Davis. Davis. Uh, on an article that follows on his description of the peak experience. And that will allow us to say more specifically what the peak experience encompasses and how it works in nature. And therefore we can make predictions of what its limits are and actually bring this into the world of science. Wouldn't that be wonderful to make consciousness a science well rudy um let me end my portion because i want to have uh neil and alan to be able to ask you some questions as well is there something that uh you want to be able to convey uh to others that i have not asked you or that i have not brought up um if i may just consult my list here um Um, I want to say, yeah, I would like to say that the nature of consciousness could not be studied previously because we did not have the correct understanding of the nature of the structure of matter in the universe. So starting with a big bang cloud, you have to explain how we got to be where we are a universe of asteroids and planets and stars and galaxies and clusters of galaxies and great cosmic voids. And at the same time, bring in the miracle of infinite speed, spacecraft transformations, 
uh, and also then the acts of consciousness that we know as telepathy, remote viewing, and so on. So I think we're getting some agitation from our hosts. No, no, no. You know, but Rudy, that last comment just goes back to the original scientific question. What came first, consciousness or the universe? And, 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 you know, that old question, did we evolve from matter or did matter evolve from consciousness? And um, maybe we don't have time to go into that, but any comment? We do. And you're asking me a chicken or egg. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Yes, exactly. So um, my view is that the best understanding that I carry personally is that it's not an accident that the universe exists. Something wanted it to exist. And mm-hmm. that something um, has a kind of simple explanation that your viewer can probably easily understand. Suppose I imagine all uh, thought, all intelligence, all being, Uh, is a physical thing which has a quantum wave description. Mm -hmm. Then, as mathematicians, we can logically say, what is the sum of Mm -hmm. all that? That now has a physical description. I can always talk about the sum of the physical description. Right. And then you have to ask yourself, how can that be anything less than a divine creator? Mm. And how yeah. can it come yeah. to be without there having been a divine creator? That's right. getting precious close to religion, but actually I've opened that door as editor-in-chief of Journal of Cosmology and allowed this religious community to propose their answers to these questions. So you will find issues, I think 12 and 13 of the Journal of Cosmology devoted to what we call astral theology, the Mm -hmm. admixture of the understanding of the cosmological whole and our experience of religion. Yeah, no, it's great because it does all seem to go back to that original point of consciousness seeming to be the source of, of all creation. I mean, that's sort of a general way of summing that up. Um, Ray, any other questions? And I think uh, Zinka Cairo is waiting, but anything you want to sum up uh, your association with Rudy and everything else you've been um, planning for the future here? Unmute, unmute Ray. Sorry about that. Just that um, Rudy and I have been on this joint mission from his first phone call we gave me at 930 <laughs> in the morning. Uh, we've been working as a team and um, and I've learned a lot you know, from Rudy over the years. But I think that this new book, uh, as the title of our book says, it's a new paradigm. We're establishing a new paradigm of viewing reality <clears throat> that is like, as Rudy said, is consciousness based. And, uh, and that we need to be able to view all of the contact modalities, all the different ways that humans are piercing the veil 
of our reality as one phenomenon instead of separate and distinct boxes. So uh, on that, if people want to learn more about uh, this new organization, the research that we're doing, send Rudy and I an email at info at experiencer.org. You guys are doing great work to move our understanding of what this phenomenon is about, what we're about as human beings. That's like really the key here. Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, uh, Ray. Mm-hmm.